0: Amen, amen. Who's ready to begin a new year with some purpose? Amen. Not that many people, huh? Come on now. Come on now. We've gathered this morning in the presence of God to find out what his purpose is for us. Amen. It's all right to clap for that. Amen. He has a purpose for us in Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident this morning. You're not even here because you chose to get up this morning and be here. You're here because God chose for you to be here on this day. How about that? That changed some things all of a sudden, doesn't it? God chose you to be here today. He has a word for you today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, his spirit is within you, and so his word is going to speak to you. His spirit is going to connect with you, and you're about to experience the living God today. Amen? Amen? You already have, but we're about to dive into his word, and when his word speaks, he speaks to us, and he changes us. This changes why we're here today. This changes how we respond in this time right here today. This is what we've gathered for. We've gathered to worship. We have gathered to hear from his word. It is his word that has the power to change lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we gather to listen and see what he has to say to us today. You know, this is the time of year that everybody begins looking at the new year. It's 2018. It seems kind of weird even saying that, but here we are, and we're looking down the road now at a new year. It's the time that people make new goals. They make new plans. They talk about eating healthier, exercising more, saving money, spending less. Yeah, right. Getting more sleep, right. Reading some more, maybe. Making some new friends. Learning a new skill. Taking up a hobby. Those are all great goals. The sad reality is... 80% 80% of resolutions, studies find, are failed by February. You know that, right? Everybody could say amen to that. You set out on this goal, this grand scheme for this new year, and you get to, about to the end of the February, and you know it's Super Bowl Sunday, somewhere around in there, and that diet plan's gone. All right, right in there. So you think about a new year as believers. I know we set aside some new things as well. As believers in Jesus Christ, we probably come up with some of our own goals. We say, you know what? I'm going to read the Bible more this year. I'm going to connect in a group this year with other believers. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to be involved at church more. And hopefully, those goals last a little longer than the other ones that we've made that end by February. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, I don't want it to end that quickly. I want to have a fresh start that truly makes a difference. I want to have a fresh start this year that truly changes everything. I don't want to slip back into some mundane routine about four weeks in or six weeks in and just count this year as a loss. Amen? I want to see God do something new. I want to learn something new about him. I want to see his glory in a new way that I haven't before. I want to be transformed by him. I want to be used by him. I want to see something new. I want to be part of something new. I want to be a part of something big. You have all of that. We have all of that in Jesus Christ. Today, we're starting a brand new series. We're looking at the book of Acts. And we're going to start in chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can if you've got your Bible with you. Acts chapter 2 is where we are today because, you see, I'm convinced that none of us have entered this new year wanting to get stuck in the goal-guilt cycle. I got a goal. I failed it. Now I feel guilty. I set a goal. I failed. Now I feel guilty. I set a goal. I failed. I'm done right? That's usually how it ends up. I'm done. Never mind. Back to the mundane, back to the routine. So today, when we look into God's word, i just want to say it again. I say this often. We are not here today just to go through some religious churchianity experience. We are here today as the people of God to meet with the living God, to hear from his living word, to be changed and transformed by it. Amen? So let me make kind of a big point to start today. We'll circle back around to it at the end and see what God has to say to us. Here's the big point that we start off with today. Before the new can come, the old must go. It's true. If you want something new to come into your life, there's some old things that you have to put away. If you want to start some new patterns, you've got to be done with some old patterns. If you want to think in a new way, you're going to have to put away some old thinking patterns. If you want to develop some new habits, you've got to get rid of some old habits. The good news is, the scripture tells us that if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creature, or creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. It's a principle of scripture. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you became a living soul that day. The Spirit of God came in and quickened you, the Bible says in the King James. He made you alive. And who you were before went away. And you are someone different now. You are not who you were. You have been bought with a price. You have been injected and infused with the very Spirit of God. He's within you. And the old passed away. You see this? Principle throughout scripture, often for the new to come, the old has to pass away. Now, let me take you down a path of where this gets very interesting. Jesus came here to earth, lived, died to pay for our sins. Three days later, he was resurrected. Death could not hold him down. Satan could not hold him down. Nothing here on this planet could hold him down. He was resurrected. He paid for sin. The Bible says that he ascended back to the Father. He left here. He accomplished his mission. He did what he had come to do. He said, It is finished. And in his death and resurrection, he completed it. And he had even said that when that was finished, there would now be something new that would come. Listen to what Jesus himself said in John 16, 7. Just make a note, and go back to it later. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus himself finished his work and he returned to the Father the Bible says he was glorified in that moment. And when he was, something new began. The helper, the comforter, the spirit of God himself was given to men. Ooh. Something new began. Something new happened. Something that had never happened before came. But before the new could come, Jesus himself would have to return to the Father. And so when you read into the scriptures, you see that something new happens after Jesus returns to heaven. Amen? You with me so far? When that happened, Jesus was initiating a new covenant, a new way for man to know God. So, for example, you have your Bible, or you have an iPad or a cell phone or some kind of app, and we know the Bible is divided into two parts, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Very good. Bible scholars, we all are now. (laughs) Old Testament, New Testament, all right? I don't know if you have a lot of Bible teaching or training or study in the past to know the difference in these two. The word testament is a word for covenant or agreement or way of relating. In the Old Testament, there was a way that God related to man, and it was through the law. The law was given that it might show man the holiness of God. And that was the way that man related to God, by keeping the law. And the law had sacrifices it was to, that were to be kept. It had laws about behavior that were to be kept. And the Old Testament said, if you obey these laws, here are the blessings that will be yours. And if you disobey these laws, here are the consequences that will be yours. And so God related to man through this old covenant of law. And there was even established by God a way to have your trespasses taken care of. It was through a system of sacrifices through the tabernacle in the Old Testament. You kept up with your sins and you brought a sacrifice to the priest, to the high priest, who would then offer them to the Lord to pay for your sins. And you kept up with your sins. You kept up with the sacrifices, and you brought them to God through the priest. And this one high priest would then enter into this holy place to offer up a sacrifice for your sins. This was the old covenant. You know that's not how we operate anymore, right? No one brought a lamb this morning, right? No one brought a turtle dove this morning. That's not just part of a Christmas song. It actually is in the scriptures. as one of the sacrifices that you could bring if you were too poor to bring a lamb. It's true. Look it up. You had to keep up with your sins. They had to be paid for continually. And you could not go into the presence of God by yourself. Someone else had to go for you. It's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, dealt with a people who were escaping Israel. You remember, we've talked about that some here at Vertical Church. A people, I'm sorry, not Israel, Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and God set them free from Egypt to go to a promised land. And the Old Covenant was all about that. The New Covenant is very different. It's not about a people who are escaping Egypt, it's about a people who are escaping sin and bondage in their life. Amen? The Old Covenant was about the nation of Israel. The New Covenant is about anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, whosoever will may come. The Old Covenant was written on stones, commandments. The Bible says the New Covenant is written on the hearts of those who believe. The Old Covenant was based on the law that all it could do was really condemn sin. You could read the law, and it could tell you where you had failed. But the law in and of itself could never give you life. The Spirit, however, in the new covenant comes to give us life, real life within. The old covenant was about a tabernacle, a building, a place where the Spirit of God dwelt, where the presence of God dwelt. The new covenant is about believers becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God. The old covenant had a priest who went in, a high priest who could only once a year go into this holy place to offer sacrifice for sins. And he alone could do that if he was righteous. The new covenant, Jesus enters in as a faithful high priest for us and says, you now, as part of this new covenant, you have been made priest to God. Boldly come to my throne. Those are two very different covenants. It's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. They're very different. The Old Covenant was based on sacrifices that had to be continually offered. The New Covenant is about Jesus who offers himself once, once and for all, to pay for the sin of man. The Old Covenant was based on many lambs. The New Covenant is based on Jesus, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. The Old Covenant had to be have your sins remembered at all time. And under the New Covenant, the book of Hebrews says... This new covenant, under this new covenant, their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Amen. It's a very different covenant, a very different arrangement. And When you read between the Old Testament and New Testament, you're reading about two very different ways of relating to God. What makes me so sad is I find so many people today who are still trying to relate to God by the Old Covenant. They're still trying to keep the law enough to make them righteous. They're still trying to do enough good that will hopefully make them acceptable to God. But there's someone who has come in the middle here. There's someone who has come in between the covenants and begun this new covenant. It's Jesus himself. All the law could do was point to our failures. It could also point to the need for a Savior, and Jesus comes and he does that. He becomes the Lamb of God. He becomes the high priest. He becomes the man who enters in. He becomes the one who is the once and for all sacrifice for sin, who makes a way for us by faith to enter in. Jesus is the one who establishes this new covenant. So when you're reading through here this old covenant, this Old Testament and New Testament, You read and you turn to the first page of the New Testament and the book that you find there is Matthew, Matthew, yes. And you find Mark and you find Luke and you find John. You find these four gospels, these four writers who tell the story of the life and death of Jesus Christ. But you tell me, if you have someone in your family and they've established a will... Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it's an aunt. Maybe it's a great-grandparent. And they have a will. And in that will, they have planned for you to receive something at their death. When does that will come into being? When is it enacted? When do you receive what was in the will? When they die. That's when the gifts, the inheritance are given and received. So when we're reading through this New Testament, it's called the New Testament, and we're reading through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. But I'm going to tell you what. The covenant, the new covenant, doesn't actually begin until what? The death of Jesus Christ. It's his death and resurrection that begins a new covenant. Now stay with me because this is where the story really gets fun. This is where we're headed today. This new covenant, old covenant, experience is so radically different. This new covenant experience is so different from the past that when God initiates it, when God begins it, when he starts this new covenant agreement, he does so in the book of Acts with just something that's explosive, something powerful, something memorable that no one would ever forget because this new covenant experience is not anything like the old And I'll tell you up front what I'm praying right now, what I've been praying this week. It's my fear that the enemy has deceived and dumbed the church to the point today that we don't realize what we have in this new covenant. That we have lulled ourselves into this. Lazy, empty, powerless faith. We have dumbed it down to some Sunday morning experience and don't know how it's to be carried out Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock, Thursday night at 9 o'clock, or God forbid, Friday night at 2 a.m. But that, and in every hour of our week, is where we are invited to something people before the death of Jesus Christ never, ever experienced. You and I live in a day and time where there is an experience for us that is different than any person of faith before the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we're living in today. That's what we have for us today. But we walk around like it never, ever happened. We're all caught up in ourselves. We're all caught up in our sins. We're all caught up in our past. We're all caught up in this mundane life, and we aren't even realizing the power that is ours in this brand new covenant. Amen? So let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and see what happens here. The setting is this. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has returned to the Father. He has told his band of disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. To go there and wait for the promise that something new is going to happen. Something fresh is about to occur. And Acts chapter 2 is the believers gathered there. They have chosen a replacement for Judas. They are held up together. The Bible says they are all in one accord. They are in this place. They're gathered together. There's persecution outside. They're uncertain about their future, about their destiny, but they know Jesus has said something new is going to happen. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost had finally come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, if you've got a pen or paper or you're taking some notes on your note section, your phone or iPad, whatever you've got, make a few notes. This will be fun to look at later. In Leviticus 23 in the Old Testament, there was a series of feasts and festivals or celebrations that under the law they were required to keep. And these festivals occurred every year. And they kept them. They didn't understand the depths of what it meant that they were keeping them, but they were keeping them. And so they kept things like the Passover celebration. They knew the history of it. They knew that there had been a time when they were in Egypt and God was going to free them. And God said, I want you to take the blood from a lamb and put it on your door on the top and on the sides. And when you do that by faith, the death angel during the night will pass over your house and you will be saved. But all those who do not will lose their life to the death angel. And so the people of God do that. That, and they forever then afterwards celebrated the Passover celebration. Okay? It was a certain time of the year that they did that. This Passover celebration would come to picture the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb for us, so that all who would believe the death angel would pass over and we would have life in him. Amen? Amen. The next feast that they celebrated was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread, bread that was made without yeast, bread that was pure, they said, bread that was sinless because it didn't have any leaven in it. This feast of unleavened bread represented the sinlessness of Jesus and his body buried in the ground. As a feast of unleavened bread, it was a celebration of the wheat That was necessary for making the bread. And for wheat to grow, it has to do what? It has to fall into the ground and die and be covered over. The feast of unleavened bread was a picture of Jesus' death for us. The feast of first fruits was next for them. It was a celebration of the first fruits that would come into growth. It was a picture of Jesus' resurrection because he would be the one who is the first fruits of all who would be resurrected and have righteousness in their life. Now, what happened 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread was called Pentecost. And they had celebrated it for years and years and years. It was a celebration and a memorial of the harvest time. Of the gathering in. And God's about to do something brand new in Acts chapter 2 on the very day of Pentecost. On the very day that symbolized the drawing in, the gathering together of all. All right? You know, that would be a fascinating sight. There's actually three other feasts that follow that. But not today. We'll save those for another time. But for those who like a little history, there you go. God does something fresh when these believers are gathered there at Pentecost. Here's what the scripture says. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. God is doing something brand new. A fresh start is occurring. Jesus has returned and now the helper is going to be given to man. The comforter. And the Bible says as Luke is writing this he does his best to try to explain what happened. But I want you to know it says words like as of. In other words, it was like this but it wasn't that. It was like a rushing mighty wind. That was all Luke could compare it to, but it was a sound from heaven. Something brand new was starting on this day. Something that had not happened before was happening on this day because this was the day of Pentecost. This was the day of promise. This was the day that Jesus had talked about and they're gathered there and this rushing mighty wind-like sound fills the place where the believers are all gathered. It happens here on this day. Verse 3, it says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. There's as of again. As of means it was like this, but it wasn't necessarily that. Are you with me? Y'all here? And one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let's talk about this for just a moment. Let's see what's happening here on this day. Because something is happening here that had never, ever happened before. There had been times in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God had come on people. Kings, priests, prophets. And for a time, they would have the Spirit of God empower them for some time. He would lead them, guide them, guard them. But it was just for a time. This is something different. This is completely different than that. This is the giving of the other part of the Trinity, the third part of the Trinity, this one who has been in fellowship with the Son and the Father, the Spirit now makes his entrance to planet Earth. He does. And it is in a miraculous event, a powerful event and it says that they were all filled with the holy spirit filled it didn't say they he came on them they all of a sudden were filled with the holy spirit this had not happened before the Holy Spirit of God, the righteous essence of God, the completed full expression of God now came to earth and it came and it filled people. Yes. It came into them. He came into them and his spirit united with their spirit and they became living being. Yes. That is different than anything that the old covenant ever talked about. You could have your sins paid for, but it's quite a different thing from having to go to the tabernacle every month, every year to knowing that Jesus has come and once and for all paid for your sin. And into this new covenant, your sins, he remembers no more. And when that spirit comes into you, it changes you it does in the old covenant they live with a measure of fear and uncertainty and law and keeping a list and checking it twice gonna find out who's naughty and nice yeah look at that a little later for some different discussion but in this new covenant Jesus comes in takes the sin bears it all and says now there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ amen it's a different day It's a different day all of a sudden when the Spirit comes and fills believers. It's a different day because in the Old Testament, they couldn't even draw near. They had to go through the high priest. They had to stand outside and wait. They had to hope and pray that their sins were sacrifice accepted for their sins. They waited and they prayed and they couldn't go in and they wondered what this holy place must look like. It was guarded, it was covered. You couldn't go in unless you were the priest, unless you were holy, unless you fit the qualifications, unless you were of the right tribe, you couldn't go in. But in this New Testament, this new covenant, it says that those who are in Christ Jesus are accepted in the beloved. You are brought right in and accepted as family. Hello. Come on now. This is a different day. You couldn't do that. You go back and talk to Moses one day. You go back and talk to David one day. And you ask him. It'll be a different experience because we now live under the God enacts something that has never happened before. God lives in man. God restores man to a place of intimacy and fellowship not known since the garden. It's a new day. It's a new experience. And they begin to do something. There's something that happens outwardly because of what happens inwardly. When they receive this spirit and they know all of a sudden, I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I've been made righteous. I've been brought near. God is in me. God has made me new. When that happens, these verses tell us that it brought a transformation to their outward behavior. It did something. It says that um, while they were there, it was, as, it was as the tongues of fire began to speak through them that this experience caused them to have to talk. It just had to, you just had to say something about it. You just had to tell somebody about it. It was too big an experience to just keep it to yourself. It was too big of an experience to just look around like, Did y'all see that? It was too big a deal. No one was afraid anymore. It was too big a deal. They were all of a sudden moved by it. And it says that they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says they began to speak with other tongues. Now, let's be real clear. In this passage, they are talking about other languages, it's very specific. They were not babbling. They were not just saying random sounds. They were speaking in other languages that they did not know. It is a miracle. When a miracle happens, things happen that don't normally happen. In a miracle, Peter walks on water. That doesn't normally happen. Hello? In a miracle... The man who was blind now sees. That's a miracle. Things that did not happen before all of a sudden began happening. Now the passage goes on and it tells us what God was doing here. Verse 5. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. People who had known God under the old covenant. They were devout men. And they were from every nation under heaven. People who knew God. The old way. People who had resisted Jesus, most likely those who had even had him crucified, who had rejected that he was the Lamb who had come to once for all pay for the sin of man. And they are dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. It says, And when this sound occurred, whatever this wind like sound was, it says, The multitude came together. It was not just a sound in the room. It was a sound that occurred and everybody heard it. It was something that shook the city. It was something that shook the walls. Everybody heard it and they wanted to get to the source. And they started making their way there. We got to find out what that was. We've never heard that before. What could make a sound like that? It's a sound we don't even know how to explain. It's a sound that I've never even heard before. It's a sound that had like an experience with it, which is unique. And he says, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So here are people from every nation on the planet gathered in Jerusalem and they hear this sound and they come together to see the believers who were there in the room and they're all speaking these other languages and these other people come around and they hear their language being spoken. It's the first kind of universal translator going on right here. I mean, Google's still playing with that today, you know, looking at some stuff, but God is making it happen right here. He's got a miraculous purpose for it because this day is like no other day. It's the day of Pentecost. It's the day the Holy Spirit's been poured out. And it's the day that these people are all gathered and they're hearing their language. I'm sure they're looking around the room like, wait a minute, who is speaking our language? I've got to go find that guy. Who is speaking my language? I've got to go find that girl. I hear it. Where is she? I've got to get to her. What is she saying? I hear it. I can't make it out. What is she saying? Verse 7. Or 12. I'm skipping a little bit of it because it gets kind of long. It gives a list of uh, all the groups, all the nations, all the people that are gathered there. In verse 12 it says, They were all amazed and perplexed because they're they're not just speaking the language. They are speaking the glorious work of God, and they are speaking about Jesus. They're talking about a new covenant, and they're confused, and they're saying, What does this mean? What is happening here I don't understand this. I've never seen anything like this. This is so otherworldly. Someone that has not spoken my language is talking my language, and they're talking about Jesus, and they're talking about what he's done. And he's, I've got to go hear him. And their conclusion is, they must be drunk. This can't be happening. It really can't be that. It can't be that they, someone that doesn't know my language is talking my language and, and speaking to me about Jesus. It can't be a message that now is for all nations. It's the new covenant, friends. The old covenant was just for one group, the Jewish people. New covenant for all who will believe and so God is doing something big here he's making a huge point and he's broadcasting the gospel in every language on the planet yeah and all they conclude was they must be drunk verse 14 Peter surprise surprise it's Peter who stands up, who has to talk, who has to say, now, wait a minute. It's time to clarify some things. It's time to set some things in order. And Peter stands up with the 11, and he raises his voice. I imagine it's because of volume, and I imagine it's because of intensity. And he says to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. You can almost just hear the intensity, you know, in Peter, like, in other words, he's saying, like, you better mark my words. I've got something to say about this moment. You better listen up. And they're like, and this is Peter's moment. This is what Peter was created for. This is his time to talk. Verse 15, these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. It's the time you don't, you haven't even started drinking yet, but I'm going to tell you, these people are not drunk. You, you pick a time later in the day, but I'm going to tell you, it's too early in the day, and God's doing something fresh here, and they are not drunk. Verse 16, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it has or it shall come to pass in these last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit. On all, all flesh. God says, I'm doing something new. And I told you about it before. Prophets spoke about it. Joel wrote about it. And friends, Peter said, this is it. This is that day. This is the day that a new covenant has come into being. This is the day that changes everything. This is the day that a fresh start began in the economy and kingdom of God something brand new, something that has not happened before. God says, I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. He goes on at the end of verse 17. He says, here's the results. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Listen, people, he says, here's what's going to happen. God's pouring his spirit out. It's happening right now. It's happening in a way that has never happened before. And here's what's going to happen. No longer will there be just individual prophets in a generation that will stand up. No longer will there just be a Jeremiah, just be an Isaiah, just be some other prophet, no longer just these ones. Now your sons and your daughters, every one of them are going to prophesy. Yeah. They're going to be the ones speaking because they'll see the glory of God in you. They'll see the spirit of God in you and they're going to be filled with life. This is what happens when you get filled with the spirit of God. Are you with me? Yeah. Come on. Your children, your children are going to rise up. They're going to have a passion they're going to speak. They're going to be bold. They're not going to be afraid. They're not going to be intimidated. They're not going to be bullied. They're not going to be hiding out. They're going to be so filled with the Spirit of God, they're going to be the ones speaking boldly. The Spirit of God will be in them, and they'll rise up. They'll change the generation. That's not all, though. He says, your young men, they're going to they're see visions. These young men and women who are at a prime in their life where they've got energy, they got time, they can stay up late and they can wake up early. Most of them. they got energy that the older folks don't have. they got passion that some of the older folks don't have anymore because of their age. And these young men, they're going to see visions. They're going to see what could be. They're gonna see what can be. They're gonna see reality and they're gonna to try to make it happen. They're gonna be filled with such passion. They've been speaking about it since they were young, they've been speaking about it since they were sons and daughters, and now they rise up and they're ready to make it happen. They want this kingdom thing to become a reality. They want to see others come to know Christ. They want to put this church thing into existence. They want to see other people filled with the Holy Spirit. They want to see people who are living in despair and depression and carelessness and and selfishness and flesh. They want to see that eradicated. They want to see people set free. They want people to know what Jesus Christ can do in your life. And these young men, they see it. These young women, they see it. And they rise up and they want to see more of it. They're driven by a whole lot more than just a college degree plan. That may be part of it, but that's not it. They're driven by a whole lot more than just prosperity. That may be part of it, but that's not it. They want to be about more than just social status on their social networks. That may be part of it, but that's not it. They're all about pleasing God and having his favor on their life and rising up and saying, we've got to bring this this thing into reality. We've got to bring this church into existence. We've got to see people set free. We've got to see the rest of our family come to know Jesus Christ. We've got to see visions. Amen. That's not all. He says, your old men, they shall dream dreams. The old men, the older women, they've gotten to a place where they don't have the the strength that they once had. They had visions one day. There was a time they worked hard and they could. There was a time they were investing and planting and they could. But now life has moved along. And they're to a place where they can't make it all happen like they used to. They can't get up and work as hard as they used to. He says, and what happens in them is they dream, dream. They remember other times. They remember other experiences. And they dream of what could be. They dream of their grandchildren rising up, serving the Lord. They dream of a day where the kingdom of God is expanding. They dream of a day when the word of God is taught. They dream of a day where people know the Lord And they teach others to know the Lord. And these older men, they dream. These older women, they dream. And God puts those who dream with those who have vision. He puts those who don't have the strength with those who do have the strength. And he puts those who are called to speak in there as well. And he puts them all together, and he calls it the church. And there's young, and there's old, and there's strong in in vitality and strength. And there are those who are strong, and maybe in financial ability, but they're weak in physical strength. And God puts them all together and says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to pour out my spirit, and there's going to be such a move. There's going to be a day coming when Children will speak. Young will have visions. And the old will dream. And they'll all work together. Friends, that time is now. We are living in the time that Joel talked about. We're living in the time that Luke wrote about. We're living in the time that was birthed at Pentecost. Yes, Let's move on to verse 18. He says, and on my maidservants and on my, my I'm sorry, my servants, and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Those that are slaves, those that might be considered the lowest strata of the social group, they will be speaking prophetically for God. They'll be declaring his ways even though they have so little. They'll be speaking of the riches they have in Jesus Christ. He goes on and he talks about what's next. He says, "I'll, I'll show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth below or beneath Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The emphasis in the sentence here, whoever, whoever. You no longer have to just be a Jew. You can be a Jew who is now completed in Jesus Christ. Whoever calls on him will be saved. It doesn't matter what nation you've lived in. It doesn't matter where you live, what language you speak. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And you'll enter into this new covenant agreement where the Spirit of God comes and lives in you. And you become the temple of God on the earth. I know we like to say we've come to the house of God today. I'm going to tell you what. You, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, are the house of God. We are the house of God because he lives in us. What a day. What a fresh start. Let's make some application and wrap this thing up. It's good stuff. Amen? Let's make some application here. How to live with a fresh start. I want to live with a fresh start. I don't want to get to February and live from March to December defeated. Amen? I want to live with a fresh start every day, every week, every month. I want to live in that. So here are some things we can know that will carry us in a fresh start. First one is this. We are the fresh start of God. You got to know this you got to take this in. We haven't come to make a fresh start. Hello, God has made us the fresh start. We are the fresh start on the earth today. We are the new covenant in practice today. We are the ones that stand apart from anything that ever happened before Jesus came. The Spirit of God has made you alive. You're not an accident. I hope you know that. You didn't just show up on the planet because of something your parents did. It may have been part of the process. In fact, it was. But if you're here today, God sovereignly planned for you to be here today. And I don't mean just here, but on the planet at this time. And you don't have anything in your life that he doesn't already know about, good or bad. You don't have any sin in your past that wasn't taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. You don't have anything in you that can keep you apart from your own stubborn will of being filled with the Spirit of God. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. We are the fresh start of God. Colossians 1.27 says, For to them God would make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the nations. Here it is. Which is Christ Christ. In you, the hope of glory. The glory of God in us. Second big point today, the Spirit of God awakens our spirit with new drives. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, on the day you were born again, a process began. You were born again. You were made alive where you hadn't been alive before you're made alive to God where you hadn't been before you're made alive because your sins are forgiven where they hadn't been before and now in this this process of the spirit of God in you he is he is making some things wake up within you he's awakening peace in your heart He's awakening hope in your heart. He's awakening desires in your heart to seek after him. He's awakening desires to lay down your life for others. He's awakening a desire for you to connect with others who know him. He's awakening desires for you to tell others about him. He's the one that's awakening all these things. You didn't just come up with those things on your own. He's doing it. Sometimes people ask, well, how do I know if what I'm feeling is from God or just from me? I'm going to tell you what. If you have a drive within you to seek after God, that didn't come from you. That came from God. If you've got a drive in you, men, to love your wives and sacrifice for them, that didn't come from you. It came from God. And if you sense it, do it. You don't have ever have to wonder, should I sacrifice for my wife you don't have to ask that question. The answer is always yes. Wow, we got quiet in here all of a sudden. <laughs> Ladies, you don't have to ever wonder, should I be grateful for my husband or not? Yes. Should I tell my husband I love him or not? Yes. You don't ever have to wonder and say, well, you know, I'm afraid if I tell him I love him, then he'll think I'm, like, you know, subservient to him and all this stuff. Stop all that. (laughs) If you've got a desire inside you that matches up with Scripture, it was put there by God. If you have something within you that says, that, that caused you to want to give something to someone else, maybe it's an amount of money, maybe it's some possession you've got. If you feel this desire to want to give that, that didn't come from you. That came from God. It's not natural for you and I to give, to serve, to love, to sacrifice, to submit, to humble ourselves, to ask forgiveness. If any of those things come up in your mind, it came from God. He's awakening it within you. And the thing you want to do is listen to it and do it. The Bible says that when you do that, you are walking in the Spirit you are walking in what he is saying to you and the greatest tragedy is when he speaks to you and you refuse to walk in it he says i need you to go speak to this person you say no nope. he says i need you to serve this person you say no nope. i need you to give this right here i want you to give this to this person you say nope And then you say, I wonder why God never speaks to me. (laughs) Because you won't listen to him. He's speaking to you. The process now we have as believers is learning to walk in the spirit, to walk in this drive that's within us. In fact, the Bible says this is so powerful when you do it that if you will walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh Uh-oh. If you learn to walk in it, you'll start shutting down some stuff that's been plaguing you for a long time. You start obeying what God's saying, you'll start shutting down some of those old drives and passions and fears and doubts and negative patterns and negative ways of relating. You shut all that down. You shut it out. But you got to walk in it. You can't just keep saying, no, no, no. You say, yes, sir, and you move. Let's go on. We're getting closer to the end. We have the same spirit within that is in the triune God. I know this sounds theological, and it is, but it is also incredibly practical. If you think you have done a service to God today by coming to church, man, you've missed it. You see, what happened is you were given the very Spirit of God. You have been infused. You have been, the Bible says, watch this, you have been made one with the very Spirit of God. You don't believe me? 1 Corinthians 6, 17. He who is joined to the Lord is one Spirit with him the same spirit that has always been in fellowship with the Father and the Son, the same spirit that was there in Genesis hovering over the deep, the same spirit that came down in bodily form upon Jesus when he was about to be baptized, the same spirit that Jesus said there is one coming who will baptize you with fire, the same spirit that Jesus said had filled him and had anointed him to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim deliverance to the captives, give sight to the blind, and pronounce liberty to those who are crushed, that same spirit is in you today. That same spirit that Jesus said would be the comforter. That same spirit that Jesus said would give you power to the nations. That same spirit that gave Peter strength to speak up against a godless government in the book of Acts. The same spirit that Stephen had upon him when he was being stoned for his faith. And it says, by the spirit he looked up and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That same spirit is within you and I today do not discount any more what has been given to you Amen. you see that's where the problem occurs and this is where we wrap things up here this is our challenge today i would tell you this do not any longer settle for nothing less than being filled with his spirit there is a voice today That wants the church to stay asleep. That wants the church to stay inactive. That wants the church to stay inebriated on its own mess. That wants the church to stay in the depths of its fear and depression and insecurities and just lay down and watch this world go to hell. There's a spirit alive today that wants to convince us of that. But when the Holy Spirit was given, it was meant to awaken us to something we had never, ever had before. And so what I'm challenging myself with this year is never settling for anything less than being filled with the spirit of God. Now here's the deal. Here's where we started today. You can't have anything new until the old has gone. And today, if you are filled with a bunch of other stuff, if you're filled with all the things you're angry about, If you're filled with all the things you're insecure about, if you're filled with all the things that you want to get somebody back about, if you're filled with all of your love for possessions, if you're filled with love for drink as your way of finding life, if you're filled with all these other ways of trying to find life, if you are filled with living out what was meant to give you drive and thinking you can do that by being old, Gushy, gushy with a sports team or some movie. Hello, you're not going to find adventure like you're going to find when you walk in the Spirit of God. There's nothing wrong with movies and following sports. I plan on watching the football today. But I know some people who are so caught up in sports, TV, and movies that they are living out some form of existence in them instead of living their lives sold out to the Spirit of God. Amen. They're, they're, they're substituting for lesser things. They'll take all the challenge of some series and Netflix themselves to death instead of drawing up close to the Spirit of God and say, what do you have for me today? I want to walk in that adventure. I want to walk in that miniseries. series I want to walk in that for the next mini-series after it, too. I want to get involved in that season. I want to win the game. You see, until you get ready to empty yourself of your stuff, you can experience the filling of the Spirit of God. But when you say, I've had enough, I'm one of those who's been living half. I've been living with small dreams, small prayers, Small goals, I'm tired of it. I'm here to walk with God. So my, my sentence for this year that I'm charging myself with and I charge us all is, I will not settle. I'm not going to settle for a life of resentment, depression, anxiety, fear, bitterness. I'm not going to substitute all that stuff and settle for something less than what God has for me. Would you stand with me this morning as a sign of commitment to the Lord? I know everybody here this morning, you've got to want to begin this year right. You've got to want this year to be different than any others. We are part of something fresh that God is doing. Let us welcome it. Let us walk in it. Would you bow your heads with me? This morning, if there's some air in your life where you'd say, God, I've got to I've got to empty myself. So today, God, I'm emptying myself of my what? You fill in the blank for the Lord. You tell him. I'm emptying myself today, God, of this stuff. And God, I never realized the fullness of what you've done for me. I didn't realize the depth of what has happened in me, that you've awakened something within me, that your very essence is in me. Thank you for that. I commit today to walk in that. Because of that, I will search the scriptures. I will pray. I will connect. I will be different. I will live this year not settling because I've been filled with the very spirit.